You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. All right, well, good morning and welcome again to our gathering here at City Light South. If I haven't met you, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the elders here at City Light South, and we've got lots going on. It is coming into the Advent season. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And we're looking forward to starting a new series where we're looking at some of the, um, the stories that lead up to Jesus' birth. It's one of my favorite times of the year. I don't know about you. I mean, some people talk about this time of year being crazy and stressful, and there is some of that, but I really enjoy this time of year. Uh, summer's on the way, although it doesn't really feel like it today. Um, school's finishing up, which is a big thing in our family. Um, I like all the, the stuff, all the music and the movies and the food. Um, and, you know, I hear there's the critiques of this year being is too commercialized, there's too much about shopping, and, and there's too, too busy. Um, but think about it. This is the, the one time of year, really. I mean, Easter as well, I guess, but I think it's the one time of year that the world, all around the world, everyone stops and just organizes their lives and their calendars around uh, the birthday of one man, uh, the Lord Jesus. Even if they don't really know him, um, we do. Uh, that makes this time of year extra special for us and for, for our neighbors as well. Um, this year, there are five, well, there are always five Sundays in Advent, so this is the first one, and we're going to unpack um, over each of those five Sundays the stories of how Jesus came to be. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that, because what I don't mean is that Jesus, uh, the divine Son of God, uh, didn't exist until he was born in Bethlehem. That's not what I mean. Um, Jesus, the, the divine Son of God, has existed um, from eternity past. Um, but Jesus, the man, came into existence 2,000 years ago when God came down to earth uh, to live among us, starting out as just a single cell. Um, and before that, he had parents just like we do. He had ancestors just like we do. He was born into a particular people group, into a particular place, sharing a common culture, language, and history. And we, we have access to all of that backstory. Uh, in the Bible. Um, and, and so rather than telling you the whole story or the summarizing the whole story of Jesus' people, the people of Israel, we're going to look at just five people who happen to show up in Jesus' family tree. Five people, five stories. And we're going to see that the way that God worked in those stories, you're going to see some things about how he is going to come and rescue the whole world all these things that sort of preview or foreshadow or lead up to the coming of Jesus. Jesus had a lot of ancestors, just like we do, and so I had to kind of be selective and pick five of them. And it was a bit like picking, you know, when you have all the kids together, who's going to get the main roles um, in the Christmas play. So for this year in our five-week series, we've got, we've got a wise man, actually a wise woman who we'll get to today. Um, we've got a young couple in love. We've got a shepherd and we've got a young boy destined to be king. And we're going to look at all these true tales uh, in historical order. So this week we'll start with the tale of the wise woman, whose story you might know or you might not know. Her name is Rahab, and we're going to meet her uh, in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Joshua. It's number 6 from the beginning. So start Genesis, it's book number 6. Uh, Joshua, chapter 2. Um, 
There's a, there's a quote out there that gets occasionally attributed to Mark Twain, although I don't think he actually said it. But the quote goes like this, history never repeats itself, but it, but it often rhymes. And, and what, whoever came up with that quote, who, what they meant by that is that uh, there, there are certain patterns that hap- we see in history, certain things that are similar that have happened before. There's nothing new under the sun because humans are human and we have a, a human nature and that tends to mean that when we get together and do things and make decisions, it leads to kind of similar results and we see them sort of repeating themselves in a sense or rhyming in different parts of the world, different cultures. And so what we're going to see in the story with Rahab and all the stories we're going to look at is we're going to see a lot of rhyming. You're going to recognize some of the ways God works among his people. You're going to see some of the way his people respond in, for good and for not so good. And we're going to make some connections then to the gospel itself, which is our hope at this time of the year. So Rahab, I've called her a, a, rise, a wise woman, um, comparing her a little bit to the story of the wise men, uh, the wise men that show up at, uh, at Jesus's, um, when he's a, just a young boy. Rahab isn't a queen like those three kings from the east, but she is also from the east. She is not an Israelite. She's not Jewish. Um, She has a profession and an identity which is associated with the enemies of God. So I don't know if you realize this, but the wise men and the Christmas story, when they're looking at the stars, it's because they're astrologers. They're looking to the stars to find meaning and try to predict the future. That, that's an activity that's not normally associated with the people of God. And yet, they feature then as main characters in the whole story around Jesus' birth. And here, Rahab, she is a prostitute. And she featured, again, a profession not normally associated with the people of God. And yet, here she features not only in the story of God's people, not only in their history, but in the very genealogy of Jesus, one of his ancestors, So we're going to hear her story in Joshua chapter 2. It's the tale of Rahab and how her life, how her story prepares us for the story of Christ. So if you, I'm going to to read it. It's it's a long chapter. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we're going to, and then I'll pray and then we'll we'll unpack that for us today. Okay, so Joshua chapter 2, starting verse 1. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, Go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And at nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them all along the the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Before the men fell asleep... She went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings who you completely destroyed across the Jordan. 
When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours if you don't report our mission. We will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. Go to the hill country so that the men pursuing you won't find you. She said to them, hide there for three days until they return. Afterward, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be free from this oath you made us swear unless when we enter the land you tie this scarlet cord to, um, through, to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. After they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So the two men went into the hill country and stayed there three days until the pursuers had returned. They searched all along the way but did not find them. Then the men returned, came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan, and went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story, this historical account of how you saved not only your people, Israel, but you saved a woman and her whole family um, because of her act of faith. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and ears to hear and see what you would have us hear and see and help me to speak clearly. Um, Lord, we want to come under the teaching, the authority of your word and build our lives on what is true. And so help us do that this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The story of Rahab and the spies on the surface is about a wise woman who does what she has to do to save herself and her family from imminent death. I mean, sure, she sells out her whole people, her whole city, um, and joins forces with the enemy. But she did what she had to do to survive and to save her family. But if you look closer at the story, it's a story about so much more. It's about than a one woman's will to survive. It's the story of how God looks out over a city and how he chooses one woman, one household to save by sheer grace. And the woman he chooses, the household that he saves is maybe the least likely of all, one of the least deserving. And you see that with Rahab that God is an expert at positioning his people perfectly, not just to move history along, but so that they encounter him. We'll also see in the story that God is an expert at saving his people from death. And finally, we'll see in the story that, like Rahab, we, you and I, everyone, is saved by faith in God 
alone. So let's, let's start with what we know about Rahab from the story. And the answer is not a lot. She just shows up here. She's identified only as a prostitute. That's all we learn about her at the beginning. Now, some people have questioned whether or not she is active in this trade herself or whether she's merely the owner of an inn or a brothel where prostitution was known to happen. We can't really be certain historically. I, I lean toward her being actively involved in selling her body to earn a living, and namely because she's identified as a prostitute not just once but three times in Joshua, twice shows up in chapter 6 as the Israelite army is on the march uh, through Jericho. Rahab's house is positioned either next to or inside the fortified city wall. Um, and that might have been the reason why this was a place where travelers came to stay, because it was close to the, to the city gate. Um, it was not in the center of town. It was maybe a little bit out of the limelight. For, for men uh, who didn't want to be spotted visiting a prostitute, and also here for foreign spies who didn't want to be spotted at all. Um, there's no indication that the spies went there looking for pleasure. They went there looking for information and shelter. And by the grace of God, that's what they found. Uh, the moment the, the spies arrived at Rahab's home, all of her life choices, which previously would have been looked down on, her identity, her profession, um, the location of her house, her network of relationships, all those things brought her to one singular moment in time. It was a moment of encounter. This meeting between Rahab and the spies did not happen by chance. The men found her because her home, her profession, and her relationships were useful to them in the moment. But behind that, you see, God was at work. God was designing this. He was the one ensuring that Rahab was going to meet these representatives of his people face to face so that they would know that God was in fact fighting for them and have courage and that Rahab herself would one day know and meet the God of Israel and live. And the same thing that's true for Rahab in this story is true for you and for me as well. God has positioned you to encounter him. Not just as a one-off, but again and again and again. Think about the place you were born. Many of you were born right here in Adelaide. Some of you who were born thousands of kilometers away. Think about the family you were born or adopted into. Think about your ethnicity and culture. Think about your interests and abilities, your network of relationships, your chosen vocation. All of those things leading you to moments of encounter. Maybe it's not as dramatic as Rahab's moment, but it's still a moment. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said to the Athenians, he said, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth as has and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Now listen to this. This is Acts 16, 27. He did this, 17, 27, sorry. He did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And what's Paul saying there? He's saying that everything about you, your, your, your backstory, your, your culture, your parents, your relationships, your profession, all of it, is God working to position you in the best possible place 
to, to meet him, to know him, to encounter him, and be saved. Rahab was a, a prostitute from Jericho. Her house positioned inside the very walls that one day God, his army is going to march around and they are going to crumble. And, and even though Rahab's physical house would crumble on that day, her home inside the people of God was just being built. God positioned her perfectly to meet him. Now, I'm not talking to you here about just random coincidences that we, you know, talk about things that change your fate and stars aligning and all of that. I'm talking about God who knows you by name, who sees you personally and is actively involved even in the smallest details of your life. If you're a Christian, your story is that God pursued you. God placed you in a family. He placed you in a people. And that means that even the painful parts of your past and my past, even those things have in some way, even our sin has been in some way contributing to, our, uh, to, to him saving us, to him opening our eyes to our need for him. And we're responsible, just like Rahab was responsible, to respond to God's pursuing of us. We respond to that encounter with active faith, which we'll see, we'll get there in a moment. But friends, we have to recognize that God often brings us low. He often makes us weak and afflicted so that his strength and his mercy are good news to our souls. I want to say this. I was just, you know, thinking about this um, as I was preparing, and I'm thinking, you know, some of you, I mean, we're kind of a young church generally, but some of you have older children who have walked away from faith in God. And, and I want to encourage you this morning to trust in the overwhelming mercy of God. That their walking away is not your fault. He is pursuing them and will continue to pursue them and pursue them. And so you can go ahead and be free and be reconciled to them as much as they are willing. But know that God is beautifully patient and merciful and loving. He loves them so much and is not willing for them to perish. And that even the most hardened, the least likely person, can be placed in, in such a way as to encounter their Lord and Savior. That's the first takeaway from the tale of Rahab, that God positions people. He positions you and me to encounter him. And the second takeaway is this. God always shows up to save us from death. Always. Now, the story comes with a context, and that is God's people have escaped from slavery, from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. And this massive number of people, um, they've been wandering around the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land for 40 years. And God is about to fulfill the promise to lead them across the Jordan River and to settle them in the land of Canaan, the very land he promised to Abraham hundreds of years before these events. The problem, of course, is that the land of Canaan is not empty. There are people there. There are cities there, and those cities have walls. 
um, a few decades before the story of Rahab, there was another group of spies, 12 of them, that went into the land and, and kind of explored it from top to bottom. And, and they came back and they said, yep, this land is it's really good. It's you know, flowing with milk and honey. There's produce. There's grapes. There's all these good stuff. We would love to live there. There's just a couple of problems. Um, number one, there's a lot of people that live there, and they're really big. They're giants. And, and, and we don't think we could overpower them. And also, there's these cities that have really thick walls around the outside. And we don't think that we could overpower and overcome these walls. In fact, the people that live there, if we stand next to them, we look like little grasshoppers next to them. That's actually what they said. And as a result of that negative report that they gave to the people in the wilderness, all the people got scared. And they said, Moses, who was leading them at the time, why did you lead us here? You just lead us here to die. Why didn't we? We could have died in Egypt. There was graves back there. Why do we have to die here? And they, and they rebelled. And, and they said, we're not going. We're not going to the promised land. We don't trust that God is going to lead us there safely. And what God, what God decided then is that none of those people would go into the promised land. That they would have to wander around in the, in the desert until all of that generation died. And it's their children, the next generation, that would be able to go into the promised land. So these two spies that go in, they're, they're, the, they're the next generation. And there's a little bit of suspense because we've been here. We sent spies in once. We spent 12 spies back. You know, 10 of them came back with a bad report. Joshua came back with a, and Caleb came back with a good report. What's going to happen now? What's going to happen on, on their spy mission? Is Israel finally going to realize the promise that God made to Abraham? But God is going to show up. And it's God here, not the spies, that's going to save people from death. As I said, once the unbelieving generation dies off, Joshua's ready to lead them across the Jordan River. And he sends the spies. But you've got to remember the two things the ancestors were afraid of. It was the people, the people, and the city walls. Those are the two things that made them terrified. And notice where the spies land. They, they cross the Jordan River, and, and, and what's the very first episode encounter that we see? They meet a person who lives there, a native, and the, who, whose house is literally built into the wall, the very thing that they were afraid of. And God's saying to them, he says, the very things that your fathers, that your generation, that your people are afraid of, those are the things I'm going to use to save you. Only God can do that. Rahab's going to give them some good news, and before she does, she has to save their lives first. She hides them up on the, the flat roof of her house among the, the flax, and then she sends the king's messengers off on a, a wild goose chase. Um, it's a similarity. I don't know if you noticed the similarity there to the story of the wise men when Her King Herod comes looking for baby Jesus, and they, 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 they throw him off the, the track, throw him off the scent. God has a habit of using very unlikely people to save his people from death. After she gets done saving them, this is Rahab again, she gives them the good news. You gotta, I'm going to read again what she says. This is verses 9 to 11 of Joshua 2. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what he did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, who you completely destroyed across Jordan. And when we heard this, we lost heart, and everybody's courage failed because of you. 
For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What's she doing? In that moment, now she's just, tell, she's just telling it like it is. She's just giving the facts. But what she's doing for these two spies is she's rehearsing their history. She's reminding them of what God has done for them all along the way. Remember the Red Sea? How God miraculously parted that so you walk through on dry land? Remember the battles with these two kings over across the Jordan River and how you completely wiped them out? You remember how God's been fighting for you every step of the way? That's, we know we're next. That's why we're afraid. And when she does that, she, her report gives them courage. God, you see, always wins. He always saves his people from death. And so you don't have to doubt the outcome. The spies, they get a taste of God's salvation at the hands of Rahab. She literally saved their lives. And then she, she sends them off out into the country to hide. For how many days? I don't know if you notice this detail, how, how many days they hide in the hill country? Three days. I mean, come on. They were dead men who, after three days, were alive. Romans 6, verse 5, Paul says it this way. He says, For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll all certainly also be like him in the likeness of his resurrection. Three days from near certain death to life and freedom. Not because the spies were really good strategists. Rahab wasn't either. They were just all sinners in need of rescue. And God showed up and came to their rescue. When the spies return safely to their people, in verse 24, they've got a very different report than their ancestors gave all those years before. He says, you know what? The people, they're still there. They're in the land. But they're freaking out. They're panicking. The whole land is scared because they know God's on our side. And oh, yeah, the city walls, they are still there. They're still fortified. But here's what they say. The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Past tense. He's already done it. It's already decided. It, I mean, the walls are still there, but they know he's already done it. They know this because of Rahab, because of her kindness to them. They believe the kindness of God because she literally saved them from death. And, um, you know, Rahab, in verse 13, asks the spies to give a sign that they will actually be true to their word and protect her and her family. So they tell her to tie a scarlet cord uh, to the window so that when the Israelite army comes, that they would spare everyone in the house. And so she does that. She ties the cord to the window as soon as they leave. And they knew, and she knew, that God was on the move and that he is mighty to save. A lot of times we lose heart because we forget that God's ability to save is not hypothetical. It's real. He's done it again and again and again, not only in history, but in our own lives. Think about how he used you, how he saved you, how he used your past, your relationships, your joys, sorrows, whatever it took to bring you to that encounter, to bring you to himself, and how he continues to pursue you, even now, in your circumstances, in your relationships, in your church family, helping you to battle against sin and discouragement, to keep believing, to keep fighting, keep hoping. His love for you is a fighting love. 
and enduring love. And he will not lose the battle for the hearts of his people. The last takeaway from the story of Rahab I want to point out is connected. We, like Rahab, and like the spies in Joshua's army, we are saved by faith in God alone, not in ourselves. Rahab's held up twice in the New Testament, mentioned twice in the New Testament as an example of what faith looks like. And that's good for us because we often get it wrong. We, we talk about faith like it's kind of like a, like a drug or a product. Like if I could just have a bit more, then good things will start to happen for me. But faith in the Bible is a choice. It's a posture that leads us to action. Listen to the Apostle James. He says this. He says, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. What's James saying about our sister Rahab here? She, she believed that God was in heaven above and earth below. That's what she confessed. And that's why she even let the spies in the door in the first place. She knew who they were. That's why she assists them in her mission. Because she's, she's not foolish. She knows, she's doing this because she knows that God is on their side and that on, this is her only means of escape. Her only means of survival is to join forces with these men who have showed up at her door. She risked her life. She betrayed her own countrymen for one reason only, because God had given her eyes of faith. God gave her that gift to see that this was the only way she could be saved. She had faith in God, and that faith saved her life. Hebrews 11 says this. It says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. She did not perish. See, that's the result of those who have faith in God. They do not, will not, cannot perish. Listen to the end of the story in Joshua 6, starting in verse 22. This is after Joshua's army has marched around Jericho six times, seven times, and the walls come tumbling down, if you know this the old kid's song. Here it is. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, he said, go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who were with her, just as you swore to her. So the young men who had, scouted, who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, her mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. She still lives today. It's true. She didn't perish. At the time of the book of Joshua was recorded, she was alive, no longer outside the camp, but where is she? In Israel. This is true of you. For all who have faith in, in God and his provision of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we are now no longer outside the camp. We are in Israel, in Christ, who is the new Israel. We are in him. This is your home. You're no longer a stranger, an alien, but you are now part of the royal family. 
This is the hope that Rahab found, that she did not perish with her countrymen, but instead found a home in the God of heaven. Nothing in her old life could ever compare to the golden ticket that God gave her to live and not perish. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him as the only provision from God to save you from death, then you will live. You will not perish. Rahab, the former prostitute, is in the family tree of Jesus. We talk about her at Advent. She's the great, 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 great grandmother of King David because God loves sinners like Rahab and like you and like me. Jesus came, God of God, to seek and save the lost. To all who receive him, John tells us, he gave the right to become children of God, not defined any longer by your past or who your parents are or how much money you have or how skilled you are, but by your proximity to Jesus. It's the only thing that will define you for eternity. No matter who you are, God has positioned you to encounter him. He's shown up today to save you from death and bring you to life. And the way you receive that rescue, that salvation, is to believe that it's true in faith. That Jesus, on the cross, in his death, he paid the full penalty for your sin. That he wants to exchange your unrighteous record and your unrighteous identity for his righteous record and royal identity. He wants to take the name the world has given you. I don't, whatever that is, maybe it's not prostitute, but thief, influencer, entrepreneur, artist, teacher, tradie, bikey, winner, loser, whatever that name is. He wants to take it and give you his own name. Not to erase you and your personality and your story, but to redeem it. To redeem you from top to bottom, inside out. To make you his child, his own possession. Think about the scarlet cord that Rahab tied from her window, the same color of the blood that flowed from Jesus' side. It's not an accident. That scarlet blood, it flowed for your cleansing, to atone for your sins, for all who believe. So that's, that's it. That's my only invitation, is that you believe this good news again today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone. Thank you that we can look to Rahab and see how you opened her eyes, how you gave her the gift of faith. And as a result, she did not perish. She and her whole household were saved. And we look to her today to be reminded, not just of how great and amazing she was and is, but how great and amazing you are and how the way you saved her and her family is the same way you've saved us. By the blood that flowed from Jesus' side. As we come to the table, help us to remember that. Help us to believe that again. And may we be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.